Yo, bro, how you doing? Very well, very well. How are you? I am good. This has been a challenging week in that I have really struggled to give a damn. Um, <laughs> it's, it's been one of those weeks where actual execution has just been really difficult. I've been dealing with emails and phone calls and just been like, why does it, why does any of it matter? But sometimes you just have to ride with that, you know, you just have to accept that this is how you're feeling and wait till you get to the other side. But it's been tough, man. How about you, man? How's, how's your week been? No, I want to honestly on yours because it's very interesting. Because a couple of weeks ago, a couple of episodes ago, you spoke about just having that week of execution. Mm. And you mentioned that you were almost concerned that there might be a, a downward turn eventually. Mm. Um, and I said, actually, I think what comes after that period of just great execution is just another period of preparation, almost yeah. nurturing the ground once again. But I like the fact that you're just accepting the frustration because at times we can forgive ourselves for not being perfect. We can forgive our, we can fail to forgive ourselves for not being perfect and fail to acknowledge that there are pain points in planting seeds. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if you spend if you spend your whole weekend planting seeds in the garden, you might actually have a sore back yeah. at the end of it, uh, and that's okay. You just have to go get yourself a massage, go take some rest, and then get back on it. Most definitely. How about you, man? How's your week been? It's uh, positive and negative. Negative. Um, there's been a little bit of disillusionment on my end in terms of just the state of the nation. So yeah. with my educational background, it's becoming very apparent that there are many kids who, due to the fact they haven't been in school for nine weeks, are doing absolutely nothing, even though all the work is being sent to them. Mm. Now, what's frustrating is that there's a clear distinction between class in terms of who's doing work and who's not doing work. And sometimes, dare I say it, race and class. So there are some communities right now who unfortunately could be left behind. There could be a, a massive generational gap created to hinder social mobility. And the kids don't see it because they're kids. More concerning, the parents don't see it because they didn't value school themselves. Now, flash forward 10 years, no one's gonna care whether I was in the year of COVID because the kids who graduated prior to me and the kids who graduated after me are also competing for the same job. Absolutely. So that part has been a little bit concerning, just worrying for the nation. But other than that, it's been a week of just enjoying time with the family and seeing new opportunities. There are definitely opportunities in this season of COVID. I just want everyone just to stop and think. Keep your eyes open. Absolutely. This is definitely a time that anybody alive right now will remember. You're going to remember what you were doing in this period. And I think the the takeaway here is to ensure that this is not a period that you regret. Definitely. And that takes us on to what I think might be the episode that I'm most excited about. Um, and I don't even know how we created this episode in terms of just discussing it offline, but it just seemed to organically emerge. But this is it. 
this is the one. This should have been episode one. This yes, <laughs> and I'm I'm really excited, and I'm going to tease this episode for a little bit longer. Yes. Um. So first of all, welcome to Expensive Lessons, episode something. What is it? Episode eight. Eight nine possibly something. We'll T- figure it out. You, you you yeah. Send us a message with what episode we're on. Uh, expensive lessons where we share the knowledge, information, experiences that we've gathered as a result of spending too much money uh, on <laughs> trying to solve certain problems. And today, uh, I, I can encourage you guys to check out our Instagram page. Uh, I, I sent out a message at the end of the last episode to, to check it out, but I really want to encourage people to follow, bring the conversation online. Uh, in in text format so that you can get under the comments and we can have a conversation there and also send your questions. I also want to highlight that in a couple of weeks time we're going to be running a expensive questions episode where we will be answering your questions direct and anybody who gets a question answered by us in that episode will actually win a £20 Amazon gift voucher and you can ask as many questions as you want. And for each question we answer, we'll send you a £20 Amazon gift voucher. So that's the competition. You can comment on our IG page, comment in the DMs, comment under the posts, whatever you like. If we see your question and we like it and we answer it, then we will send you a £20 Amazon gift voucher. So get on that. We're really looking forward to that episode almost as much as I'm looking forward to this episode. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to leave them with anticipation. <laughs> this is it. This is... Okay, we did this in 90 days. But with the experiences and the lessons that we've learned, I firmly believe that we could do it in 30. I actually believe that we could do it in 15 as it will be both of us. Talk about it. Today's episode, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, is the 30-day startup challenge. Can you create a startup in 30 days from product identification, validation, sourcing, marketing, incorporation, the whole shebang in 30 days whilst working full-time? Hand on heart, I firmly believe you can. And this is not a Coca-Cola advert where I've got my fingers crossed by my back and there are clauses. There are no clauses to this. We are about to give you the 10 steps, 10 things which you must do. Do not skip any of them. Do not alter the order of them. But do all of these within 30 days. And that idea that you're currently sitting on, have been sitting on, we're praying about, we're meditating on, will come to fruition for the world to see within the next 30 days. Ali. Are we getting involved? Are we doing it? Let's go. Let's go. Listen, I, I want this to be quick. Like when Abby and I were speaking about this offline, we were like, this needs to be back to back quick. We're going to give you tangible steps. We're actually going to mention companies, none of whom are currently sponsoring this, who we are suggesting you use. We're going to give you the rationale and the actions to take. I think we're about to go in, Abby. 
Let's do it. Okay, let's talk about it. Step one is product service validation. So Afalabi mentioned that you have an idea that you're sitting on. And I think that's the only caveat to kick this off. You have to have something that's on your heart, something that is pressing, um, something that you feel could be realized in, uh, in, in this 30-day period. It doesn't have to be concrete. It doesn't have to be tangible. It just has to be an idea that you want to go and pursue. And as soon as you have that idea, the first question that you must ask yourself is what problem are you trying to solve? Every solution out there either solves a problem or addresses a need. So you need to understand what problem you're trying to solve. And I love shaping things in the terms of problems because even when you are servicing a need, you can address a problem. So the first bit that you need to do is validate your problem. Write down on a piece of paper the problem that you are trying to solve. So if I was trying to you know, create a problem statement, quote unquote, for a company like Uber, I would highlight the fact that customers don't necessarily feel that um, private vehicle transport is readily available or accessible to them. So once you've got that problem statement uh, produced, the next step is validating that because it's all good and well you saying something. It's another thing trying to make sure that it's a believable or um, a, a, a valid statement. So how do you actually validate that problem? You have to go to the source, you go to potential customers and you highlight the problem and ask them the question, is this really a problem? Because they may say, I don't know what you're talking about. Your customers may actually look at you and go, I don't really see that as an issue. And therefore, as a result, you need to go back to the drawing board. It's not necessarily a case that the solution or the idea that you have isn't valid, but you just have to frame it in a way which addresses a customer's key problem. So if we look at London Virgin Hair, for instance, one of the key problems which we were trying to address is that high quality hair solutions for the black community were not given the professional gloss that they deserved. So we tested that. We asked a lot of people, is this a real problem statement for you? And <laughs> the responses that we got back were definitely uh, provable. It definitely came to fruition that this was an issue that people were experiencing. The next stage is validate your solution. So when you look at the idea or the product or services that you're, you're offering, you need to ask yourself, does this address the problem? And does this address the problem in a way that people are willing to pay for? Because you can create a solution that people will absolutely lap up for free, but want nothing to do with if they have to pay money for it. So you need to actually look at how can I test that somebody is willing to pay for this problem and you know go back to one of our podcasts a few episodes ago where I said do it now don't wait to tell sell your product sell it immediately it doesn't need to be polished at this stage it's a proof of concept just pull some ideas together and see if you can bring a solution together where you can sell it and once again as part of that do it now concept when we were talking about building an app you don't even need an app to test your solution. If you're creating a food delivery service, you don't need an app to develop a proof of concept. 
And you know, if you want to hear more about that, go on and do it now uh, episode. But here is where you actually make sure that the solution that you're offering is attractive enough for the customer to pay for it. And this is not a direct, um, uneditable process. It's actually iterative. And what I mean by that is you improve it over time. And you can use different models to, to iterate. So one uh, is the drive model, where you define, review, identify, verify, and execute. And literally, if you type in drive, define, review, identify, verify, and execute, you'll see what I mean. It's about a cycle of changing and iterating. The one that I stick with most is plan, do, check, act. Plan what you're going to do, then you do it, you check, which means you actually see whether it's having the, the desired result, and then you act on the information. So if it's not having the desired result, then you need to act by making some changes. And then you start again by planning, doing, checking, and acting, and repeat that process. Finally, you want to make sure that that market is real, that people are willing to pay. And you can do that by determining your market size. What market are you about to enter? And how much money are people actually spending in that market? And you can go to some you know, various sources. You can go to companies like Market and Market. You can uh, literally type in Google the name of the market that you're looking for and market size at the end. And a couple of links will come up, some more credible than others. But generally, what you're trying to do is get a ballpark figure of that market size. The next question that you want to ask yourself is, how much of that market do I think is accessible to me? Because it all won't be. If the global market for a certain uh, brand, intelligent mobility, for instance, is um, billions and billions, you need to look at, well, maybe I'm only actually going to be active in the UK. Maybe I'm only going to be active in, the, in London. So therefore, what percentage of that total global market is actually accessible to me? And finally, what you want to start looking at is the growth and trajectory of that market. Will your market grow or actually has the market reached its plateau and is going to start to decrease? So if you're thinking about starting a fidget spinner brand, maybe think twice because I think everybody can see that that market has plateaued. So think about where your market brand, um, where, where your market is and whether it's actually going to increase over time or decrease. In our industry, Hair Relaxer is a good example of a product which is, red, is steadily decreasing in value. Uh, year in, year out. So any new company that wants to sell Relaxer has to actually battle the fact that their market is shrinking year in, year out. So look at your market and ask yourself the question, is it going to grow over time? And that's product and service validation. I love do it now. And it harks back to what you said a few episodes ago in terms of, do really people want your stupid box? Why should they buy your stupid box? And that's that product validation is crucial to ensure that one, there's a market for your stupid box. Two, you know where that market for your stupid box potentially could go. And three, there's that clear review of how you're going to deliver it. Okay, now that you've got your product validation secured, the second thing is your product sourcing slash service sourcing. Now, the first step to do this, in my opinion, is to create a success criteria for your product or your service. Now you need to clearly define what you want your product or service that you are sourcing to have, to contain, to consist of. What are the must-haves 
and what are the things that you would like to have. Now, write this down. Um, have that clear criteria because at some point you are going to begin to review to test providers over this. If you're not creating that product or your service yourself, you're going to want to test the product or service of other people. If you are creating that product or service yourself, you could still use that success criteria to compare your version, your iteration, to the versions of other people. So step one, create your success criteria. What are the must-haves for your product? What are the like-to-haves? If you're selling heels, um, are you talking about durability? If you're offering accounting services, are you focusing on speed of outcome? Irrespective of your product or service, have a success criteria. Many people don't. Now, once you've had that success criteria, you need to be able to identify product or service sources. Now, many people get stuck on this because they think, how can I find my product? I know what my product is, where can I go? Or how can I find my service? Local ads, and you'll be surprised that there will be people potentially offering your product or service locally to you. I'm talking about local ads in local newspapers, I'm talking about in shops, I'm talking about in libraries. Um, service providers look on Indeed or Fiverr. There are already people who are professionals or um, interns within that industry who are offering their service to someone, to a company to hire them. Could you present a proposal to them? LinkedIn, likewise. Um, products, Amazon, AliExpress, eBay, etc., etc. There, there are so many, um, Etsy, Wish, so many companies online where people are offering almost wholesale solutions. So you want to, once you've identified your success criteria for your product or service, you want to then identify specific sources of that and drill into them. Examine as many of them as possible. Once you've done that, you want to shortlist your identified vendors, wholesalers, or candidates through any of those means I've mentioned previously. Um, now, the way you're going to shortlist your identified list of vendors, wholesalers, or candidates is through your success criteria. So if you're at this point and you've just seen several different um, service providers, several different accountants, for example, that they're all offering their services, or you're, you're surprised there's actually 10,000 in one search bar, you now need to go back to your success criteria. How are you going to whittle down that 10,000 to three? How are you going to whittle it down to the three products in your industry that you're actually going to examine um, use it as this criteria and notify them that you're actually going to test them. Um, in terms of a service offering, you are going to reach out to those three accountants. You are going to offer them potential interviews. You're going to let them know that actually I have my success criteria and I'm seeing whether I'm the best fit for you and you're the best fit for my offering. You are looking to sell heels. You found your vendors. You are purchasing um, samples. Now, you're going to want to see if you can get free samples. It's very unlikely in this day and age that you're going to get free samples for something of great value unless there's a promise of a high order later on in the future. Uh, purchase them and agree on terms and conditions of the relationship once you've whittled down those three into your number one. It might be that in your offering you want to have more than one vendor, wholesaler or candidate, which is fine, but if it is a product Ideally, you want to ensure that all of your products are coming from the same source. Step two, products and service sourcing. Success criteria, identify your sources, shortlist, 
test the top three, then agree on terms. So now that you have a product that you're ready to sell, you still need to embody the suggestion that nobody wants your stupid box. So what you need to do in this next step is understand the market in more detail. Understand who is already playing in this market and how you can actually have a foothold in this market. So this stage, step three, is all about competitor analysis. So the question you need to ask yourself is what companies are present in this market? So what you need to do is create a list. Create a list of 20 competitors. Put on the hat of a customer looking for your product and service and go through the normal channels that you would currently use to find that product and services, uh, to find that product or service and identify what you find. So how many established players did you find? How many emerging players did you find? How many new players did you find? This will give you a big indication of what kind of industry you're stepping into. If all of the key players in that industry are over 20 years old and there hasn't been a new player for a while, maybe there's a reason. You need to delve into what that reason might be. But when you have a new company, a small company entering in that market, you'd be surprised at how much information you can gather. So first things first, if you do identify a new entrant in that industry, you can find out a lot about that person. Now, one thing you can do is go on company's house to find out who's actually running that company. And you can cross-reference company's house with LinkedIn to see the story behind that individual and understand how they've entered into that market if they obviously have a LinkedIn presence. Or if they are a new company that has some sort of online presence already, you may be able to find press clippings or um, uh, press releases which identify a little bit more about the founder and their journey. All very useful information because what you're doing at this stage is gathering data about how to enter that market effectively and how to engage with your audience. Or, uh, alternatively, how not to. So once you've done this, you want to start to identify what differentiators these different competitors are offering, whether they be differentiating on price, maybe they are differentiating on brand or differentiating on service. Identify what makes these companies different. How are they able to survive in and amongst each other? And then the question that you want to ask yourself is, where is the gap that you can fill? So when you start looking at some of these competitors, you need to start identifying, is there a gap which has been left open by these competitors? That gap may be a price gap. Maybe there are a lot of very low price solutions. Maybe there are a lot of high price solutions, but there aren't any mid-range solutions in terms of price. And there's your opportunity to differentiate and provide the best mid-range offer. Um, what if the uh, opportunity to differentiate is around target audience. Now, one of the biggest challenges or one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of founders make is that they believe that their product or service is a one-size-fits-all solution. It almost never is. What you need to do is understand where your niche could be and target that niche. Because just because you are targeting a niche doesn't necessarily mean there isn't a good market value there. So, don't be afraid to go precise in your, your target audience and in your strategy if you found a potential very loyal audience to support your vision or to support your, your product or service. So that's some of the theory behind it. 
bit more practical, create a spreadsheet. And in that spreadsheet, you want to have columns, including price, online presence, their brand, their visible strategy, their marketing practices, such as promotion, but also their partners, who are they collaborating with? And make sure that in each case, you have a link to that company's website, a link to that company's Instagram in that spreadsheet. So that whenever you're updating the spreadsheet, you can actually go and uh, follow the link direct to their, their IG or to their website and use that information. It's going to change over time. Maybe in a month's time, uh, a certain company's followers is going to grow by 10 to 20,000, maybe more. And then actually follow the journey. So in the last month, one company has grown from uh, 10,000 followers to 60,000 followers. What did they do? How, what type of engagement did they encourage, which uh, resulted in that level of increased uh, support? How could you adopt that same strategy? Use the information not as a static report, but as a working document to help you shape the way that you're going to engage with your customers and also learn the lessons of success as well as the lessons of failure. That's competitor analysis. Perfect. Now, one thing which has been mentioned throughout implicitly is iterations. How, although you are doing these things, you will frequently do these things. Previously spoke about product and service sourcing. We have had three different wholesalers because you want to ensure that your success criteria is always being refined. Likewise, with competitor analysis, you want to ensure that you're always updating that competitor analysis to seeing who's falling off. We've taken off brands of our competitor analysis because they're no longer competitors. Now, once you've done your competitor analysis, you can use that to help shape your route to market. Your, your rationale and your strategy. How are you now going to take your product and service to the market quickest and best? Now, to do this for your competitor analysis, you would have already gathered knowledge in terms of historical success. What were they doing? Um, were they using social media? Um, were they using market stores? Did they have pop-up shops? Did they have physical spaces? What was it that was the common denominator amongst most of them? And who's doing something different? What are the leading brands and companies doing and how are they able to do it? Are they in physical spaces because of their level of revenue? Or did they always have a physical space? How did they start out? Once you have identified the rationale for historical success, you can then begin to start identifying where the market might be going. And that's what you want to focus on. You want to know the past, you want to know what blockbusters did historically to win, but you want to identify that actually things are going digital and you want to head in that direction as quickly as possible. There's no point you pilling down your tent in what was already established when the established brands are actually undoing their tents and moving to the new territory. Now, in the process of doing that, you might want to start zeroing into some of the key competitors that you identified who are anomalies, who are winning, but they're offering a differentiator of some sort. They're almost, <clears throat> how can I put this? They're almost choosing to view their offering as purely client-focused and pain-solving and not doing what was previously accepted as the way to market. You then need to plan. Now, how often are you going to market your product or service. 
Now this will differ depending upon who you are. Many people will say as often as possible, but you really need to start thinking about how that works with your current budget. Um, where will this be? Again, is your marketing, is your route to market going to be based in the market store? Is it going to be a pop-up? And will you be marketing via social media ads? Would you be marketing via um, newspaper clippings, for example? And who will be involved in the marketing and the marketing creation? So you have your online store because you're selling hills. You want to ensure that you have identified your route to market. So your route to market might be an e-commerce platform where you're going to go online. You now want to start thinking about how you're going to market that and who's creating your marketing material. Is it that you're going to go back onto one of the previous service providers like Fiverr to identify someone to take your images and create better backgrounds, to create great images for your website? Are you going to ask them to potentially produce those images that you can use on social media so that you have organic content of the three hills that you have? with different backgrounds and different settings which can be actually used um what are you going to do because if you don't have a rationale as to how you're going to market your products what you might find yourself doing is just doing anything to market your products and there's no strategy there's no clear branding of your product and that's how will be confusing for your customers because the way they'll see your product will differ on each occasion and they won't be able to identify you they're just identifying someone who offers that now, many people are looking not just at price, but for validation and trust. The Coca-Cola brand color is never going to change. They cannot afford for it to change. The moment in which they change it, they want to spend billions in teaching us that they've changed it. They don't want to do that because the iconic logo in red speaks trust, speaks historical success. Now, you want to create that even in your infancy, even in your first 30 days, you want to say, this is our branding. This is how we're going to market. This is where we're always going to be seen. How much are you willing to spend on your marketing um, when you have no sales? When you have 50 sales, when you have 200 sales, when you have 500 sales? A valid question because you want to start thinking about, well, at this point, you might not have any funds coming in, but eventually you will. What is the difference in terms of that marketing spend when you have no money compared to when you have 50 sales or 50 services going out? That is almost like a quick overview of your, your roots market identification and then you've got your strategy in terms of marketing it. One of the biggest stumbling blocks for founders, I think, is either under underestimating or overestimating their marketing budget. Um, actually, I'll take that back. It's, it, it's not having any <laughs> budget whatsoever, <laughs> if I'm honest. And as a result of not having a budget for marketing, you either overspend, you, you know, you do these elaborate, expensive campaigns to get yourself out there, or you spend nothing at all and assume the customers are just going to come to you. Both are detrimental to you and your business. So Definitely. stage five is all about building an effective cost model and revenue model. So... A cost model effectively answers the question, does this business make sense financially? So what you need to do is you need to write down all of your expenses, all of them. Um, and you need to understand what you need to spend in order to make your business a reality. Yes, you need product spend, you need to buy the stock, you need to buy inventory, but you also need to consider postage costs, labor costs, broadband, 
bus fare, petrol, website expenses, packaging, whatever you need to get that product or service delivered to your customer. And then you need to identify your break-even point. How many sales will you need to make in order to break even? And does that number look realistic to you based on what you have just identified? It's also important to understand the difference between a recurring cost and a non-recurring cost. Because, for instance, the cost of paying a company to design your logo is something that you only do once. Versus paying rent for the building where you keep your stock is something that you do on a monthly basis. So when you're currently looking at your cost model, you may see that it's quite depressing or negative, which is absolutely fine in the early stages of your business. You top load your investment in terms of making most of your spend in the first 90 days. But after that, you should start to have a repetitive model where a lot of the initial uh, significant investment has been made. And now you're just looking at your recurring costs. But it's very important that you understand the number of sales that need to be made for you to at least break even. And then you can start looking at the number of sales that need to be made for you to make a profit. And your business must make a profit. It can't break even. Um, even if you're doing charitable work, you can't just break even. You need to have money as profit, as margin or operating net uh, income. Because if you don't, then as soon as something goes slightly wrong, there's no safety net. And that's exactly why it's important for you to track these numbers in detail. So if you're not good with numbers, then you have no option but to get good with numbers. You do not want people who are working for you, doing your accounting, to know more about your business than you do. It's a very dangerous place to be. Now, yes, I definitely recommend hiring qualified accountants, hiring qualified uh, bookkeepers to help you with your numbers, but they need to be able to talk you through those numbers in detail so you're comfortable with where your money is going and how it's being allocated. Um, you can get various templates online for free um, and make use of those. If you need a useful template, just contact me. Uh, on our IG page or contact me uh, through any way that you know and I'll be help, happy to help set one up for you or share a useful template for you to follow. Um, but you could also pay an accountant for as little as £100 a month to kick you off with this exercise. But the answer is always making sure that you are comfortable with your own numbers so that nobody can tell you more about your finan the financial state of your business than you can. Moving on from that is understanding your revenue model. And the point I'd like to make with this is there isn't just one way to make money from your company. Yes, you can sell products or services, but even if, for instance, you're a stylist who does hair and you get paid for doing people's hair at home or in a salon, you can also develop an additional revenue stream by teaching classes teaching your craft. So now you've literally doubled the amount of revenue streams that you had by just offering a slightly different twist on the service. But that isn't it. You can do a lease of your intellectual property. Um, you can create a brand which is so well respected that people are willing to lease that brand and use that brand 
uh, as their own storefront. This is a Costa or a Starbucks model. So what many companies like Starbucks and Costa do is they have a franchise offering, which means uh, Joe or Tina down the road who want to set up a coffee shop can lease the IP from a company like Starbucks and now they've got a Starbucks shop. And Starbucks makes a percentage of every sale that's made in uh, in that shop. So that's something that you can do. If you've got a strong brand, then that's another revenue stream. If you've got a company which has an incredible online presence, maybe you've got thousands of people visiting your website on a weekly basis, another revenue stream is advertising. You can advertise direct on your website for other companies. This is another revenue stream. And by, cap by capturing all of these different revenue streams, you have different ways of getting to that break-even point. And it's good to diversify that revenue stream because when one maybe wanes for whatever reason, you've got something else to fall back on. Perfect example right now is while we're in isolation, all of the hairstylists who took the time and effort to create useful online tutorials are winning right now in a yes. period where they can't go to somebody's house and do their hair or they can't go to a salon and do customer's hair. So think about diversifying your revenue stream so that you've got multiple ways of driving income into your business. That's cost model and revenue model. Now, I firmly believe that the cost model slash revenue model is the one thing that most startups do not have. Um, I did not have it initially. And in my experiences working with startups, they don't have it until they are putting into an environment where they are asked to pitch their products. And that's when they suddenly go back and start to create a cost model, which is dangerous because that implies that you were running on a belief that you will make money. We can't afford just to believe that we'll make money. This is about numerical, quantifiable exchanges. It, it needs to be a lot more concrete. And now, one, one point about that very quickly is this is the point at which you decide whether your business is willing to continue. Um, because everything up to now has been research and preparation. You haven't done anything which isn't reversible up to this stage. We're about to move to a period where you're going to make some decisions which are a lot more difficult to reverse. So by looking at your cost model, looking at your revenue model, we're asking that question, does this business make sense financially? And sometimes the answer is no. And if the answer is no, it's a perfect time to walk away. Agreed. Because those first five steps, once you've done it once, you could do that again. You could do those first five steps within a fortnight comfortably and decide whether that idea that you woke up with, that you thought was divine intervention, is actually profitable can actually stand. The great thing is you can just repeat it over and over again, um, applying it to, to blazers, applying it to hair conditioner, applying it to straighteners, applying it to trainers, applying it to any product you wish. Now, once you've got your cost model, like Abby said, we're now going to move into an area of you are actually doing this. You're going to make this real. And to make it real, you have to think about company registration. Now, there are so many startups who do not register. And during this season, which is truly unprecedented, many people are feeling the pain of not being registered 
for not actually being a legal entity known by HMRC if you're in the UK. Register with HMRC people and it takes under 15 minutes. Register, that's the first step. Register your entity. Now you have two options. You can either register as a sole trader or as a limited company, LTD, limited company, exactly the same. Now, the good thing about registering as a sole trader is that, well, in essence, you're self-employed um, and you, you run the business as an individual. Now, that might work for some people who are offering a service and they are their first service provider. The bad side of that is that as a sole trader, you are personally liable for the business's debts and all personal assets to creditors. Um, I'm not a huge fan of running as a sole, tra um, sole trader. I firmly believe that if I was going to be a, a dentist, for example, I would still create my company and hire myself rather than just function as a sole trader, as a dentist. Um, disadvantages include, well, the lack of prestige. Um, people want to know that they're dealing with a company. Um, some customers will not deal with sole traders at all. Um, tax planning limitations and also the, the lack of funding that you will be given because it is a an, an entity which is just yourself. Um, people not being able to really share in your ideas because you can't partner, you can't bring on a director, you're a sole trader. It's not a company, it's not an organization, um, which can then hinder business continuity. So I'm a firm believer of if you're going to do this, start up a limited company. As I said previously, you can do that on the HMRC Gov page within 15 minutes. Now, once you've done that, there are other things you need to start thinking about. Um, actually, before I move on to that, there are instances within your competitor analysis where you might wish to see if your competitors are registered. We've done this. Um, we've done it on occasions where we've seen that some of our competitors, highly established competitors, are registered but they've changed their name on a few occasions and the beauty of the HMRC Gov website is that you will actually flag up if there are missing documents. Now in short this just means that they haven't filed specific documents on time and it will show you the dates. So what you might be able to deduce from this is that that company who has the gloss, who looks great, might not actually be winning as much as you think they are and might only be winning because they're not paying tax. Um, let's just be frank. There are, there are some companies out there who are, who are not legal entities. No one can pin them down. They've changed their name on so many different occasions, which is a benefit because they can actually, uh, they're not liable when they fail. Think about uh, Donald Trump and how many times he's been bankrupt and companies have failed, or he's not personally liable. Um, but the, the bad side is there's a, a lack of almost integrity there and you want to be able to position yourself for growth. So you want something that a bank and investor can look at, they can look at historical accounts and say, okay, there's a clear trajectory here, I know where this company is going. And next step, you might be um, selling hills, like I mentioned previously, and you might be actually importing these hills um, from Turkey, for example. Um, do you need an EORI number? an EORI number. So this is a number which is to do with um, imports. Now this was introduced a couple years ago. Um, it's very easy to get, again, if you are registered. Um, it, once again, on the HMRC website, you'll be able to do that. If you need it, your wholesalers will inform you that you need it. 
and um, your shipping provider will inform you that you need it. So for example, FedEx, DHL, etc., etc., will inform you that, well, for this shipment to clear, we need an EORI number. If they say that to you, do not worry because you've already incorporated on HMRC. Do you need to be VAT registered? Now, I joked previously in one of the episodes that I think VAT might be the Antichrist. That's only because I've been fine <laughs> in the past. Um, <laughs> the good thing about VAT is that you do not have to pay VAT until your earnings is up at 83k a year as yeah. a company. Um, now, VAT is 20% value-added tax. So you really need to think about your cost model to incorporate that into it. Yes, in that first year, maybe even two years, three, you might not exceed that 83,000, but your plan is to. So are you still profitable when you're paying VAT? So again, go back to that cost model. Um, and when registering for VAT, if you are going to, it's just best to register with a flat rate. Um, speak to an accountant about the different um, variations, but a flat rate means that you are able to project what you are going to be paying. Um, HMRC will request accounts quarterly, uh, this is something which you can do. It's also something which there are many apps which will do for you. Um, many of you would have possibly heard the Zero adverts with the X, X, E, R, O. There are companies such as Crunch. There are uh, a plethora of apps online who will do all of your accounting for you, which will save you the, the cost and pain of doing it yourself. Final thought, please register. Please. Thank you. So you set your infrastructure up at this point. And now you want to test your business model. You're ready to go. So the first thing you need to do is find out where your customers are and go there. This could be market stall. This could be a pop-up shop in Shoreditch. This could be over the phone, literally picking up the phone and calling potential customers direct and offering them your product or service. This could be DMs and Instagram. Understand your market and where it's best to engage with customers. Whatever you do, though, make sure you exist online. In the 21st century, no matter what it is that you're selling or offering, there is no excuse for not having a professional online presence. And the first thing that that um, will involve is your email address or contact information. Now, Afalabi says this, and I agree, that if somebody is calling me from customer service at yahoo.com i'm not going to take you very seriously yeah. it's unfortunate but i'm gonna think that there's i i get way too enough way, way too much spam in my inbox as it is to be seeing somebody trying to sell me something through a, a yahoo page great when you're starting up but you really want to think about creating a domain name for your business and associating uh, and your email address to that domain name. Where can you go to actually set up your online website? You can use platforms like GoDaddy, Squarespace, Wix. They all have integrated um, domain name purchase uh, capability where you can actually find a domain name that works for you and, um, and set it up. Now, how do you find your domain domain name chances are the amazing name that you thought about is probably already taken you'll be surprised yep. at how often i've gone online with a great idea and thought this is a really unique domain name and found out that somebody has owns it and it will cost me about forty thousand pounds to buy the domain name from them yes so what you want to do is 
try not to become paralyzed by your domain name. What you, The aim of your domain name is that it clearly identifies yourself as a brand. It doesn't necessarily need to be the prettiest. It just needs to set you apart from other companies. If you were to ask in 1970, you know, what would be one of the most iconic computer brands in the world, you might have come up with the suggestion, you know, um, integratedsoftware.com or integrated uh, com- computingsystems.com. You probably wouldn't have thought of Apple or Microsoft uh, in, in terms of names. Don't be afraid to go slightly left-wing or abstract with your domain name, as long as it's short and memorable. Those are the things that I would recommend. Try and make it short and memorable. Um, and also try and make it um, attractive to search engine optimization. And we don't have anywhere near enough time for me to talk to you through search engine optimization during this one, but make sure that you create a name which actually helps you with your search engine optimization. And then you can also create a professional email address. So Google Suite is probably one of the go-to options here with um, services ranging from, I think it starts at about £10 a month. You can go even cheaper than that. So there's a company called Ionos uh, by One and One where you can get an email address for £1.20 per month, which is an absolute steal. So you can set up a professional-looking email address to engage with all your potential clients for relatively cheap. And then what you want to start looking at is building your online presence, your Instagram, your social, your other social media platforms. But on top of that, and more key, is your website. So Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, they will all uh, fluctuate in popularity. However, your website is your landing page. That's your online headquarters. That's the place where people go specifically for you. So make sure that you set it up in a way that draws customers in. Um, you can pay consultants to build your website for you and they could charge a price tag of up to £3,000. But at this stage, I would recommend doing it yourself. And now we live in an environment where it's actually relatively easy to set up your own website. You can look at platforms like Woohoo, Wix, WordPress, um, Squarespace, all very competent uh, um, website building platforms. If you have an e-commerce brand, I would recommend Shopify. I personally don't think there's anything better for e-commerce business than a Shopify website right now. It's got amazing analytics. It's got an amazing backend where you can actually get apps built into your website from third-party developers, and it's incredibly intuitive. So I would recommend that. The other element that you need to consider is your brand. And this is something which tells people about your business before you get a chance to tell them about your business. So here you want to think about things like your color scheme, your logo, your typeface, all of the things that you want to try and uh, say about your business. So if you are a professional services business, then have a look at the way professional services businesses shape their offering in terms of brand. What types of colors do they use? What types of typeface do they use? Do they have logos? Do they have words, etc., etc.? You may want to go completely left wing and do something completely different, but understand in the market space what 
is being done and how you can potentially stand out. And when it comes to actually building this, you can once again do it yourself, but you can also recruit graphic design interns. You can recruit people from uh, uh, Fiverr uh, to, to build your brand for you. And the other point that I would mention about brand is not to be paralyzed by your brand because it can change. And likelihood is in the early stages, the brand will change. And what we've talked about iteration before, this is something else that you'd likely iterate. If you don't believe me, have a look at Netflix's first brand uh, offering and have a look at Airbnb and look how different it is now. So mm. don't be afraid to change the company brand as you're iterating and developing your customer offering. And in the early stages, also don't be afraid to change the company name. Definitely. It's going to hurt a lot more when you have an established company to change the name than in the first couple of weeks or months where you're testing things out. So that's lead generation. And my, my main takeaway from lead generation is go to where your customers already are. That is crucial. It's crucial for people who've already started because many people do this first. Many people go online yes. before they have anything else, um, which is great passion and ambition. Uh, once you've done it and you stumble across something which is better, change. Um, I have gone through the process of migrating us from Wix to Shopify in the past. That was extremely painful. Naively, I thought, you know, I could, I could do this in a couple hours. It took over a week to do it properly, but I don't regret it. So ensure that you examine and investigate all of your options and then go for the best one. Again, e-commerce, definitely Shopify. Now, we are real. And to be real, we want people to be able to pay us. We want people to be able to pay us in a very a transparent and pain-free way. So you need to develop a business account. Now, there are several business account options. Now, the big high street banks have been always offering business accounts. However, there have been um, many new solutions which have made it easier for startups. Now, banks such as Halifax, um, no, to my knowledge, and someone correct me if I'm wrong, Halifax are not offering business accounts. Now, that was true three years ago. I need to double check whether that's still true. But Lloyds and Barclays have been renowned in such a sense in there as offering uh, business accounts. However, they take too long. Lloyds, you can get with under a week. Barclays are a little bit more thorough, but amazing in terms of their business account offerings. They're always trying to give us money. Um, how kind of them. <laughs> they, they will take two to three weeks to actually open your business account. You have a, a, a lady or a gentleman call you up to confirm who you are. Um, they're just not playing. Now, you have other options. You've got disruptors like Tide and Monzo who've come along. Now, many of you have seen them. Um, they will actually open a business account for you within minutes and literally have your business card sent to you within like 48 hours. Now, they can be incredible. And um, in the process of opening up an account with Tidal Monzo, if you do want to go down that route, you will have to, in your online form, state what your conservative estimated revenue would be. Now, no, they will ask you for your estimated revenue. I've included conservative. Please be conservative in terms of actually stating that. They will not hold you to it. Like many banks, they've got restrictions in terms of there's only like a 25k transferral fee per day, um, transfer transference per day, etc. etc. They can be wonderful, but you don't want to just have a, a regular bank account. 
you do want to open up a PayPal as well. And if you are both a service provider and a product provider, there are many people now who trust PayPal, simply because PayPal will offer payment protection to them, and thus they might just wish to transfer funds that way. PayPal, like some of the established high street brands, do have their quotas. So anyone could open up a PayPal account. You can open up a PayPal account for your business in minutes once again. However, there will be caps in terms of the amount of money that you're actually allowed to make until they will ask for a lot more details. Now, this is just to ensure that you're not doing anything um, illegal, such as money laundering, etc., etc., and that they can actually pin you down to an established brand um, and thus taking you back to step six, which is company registration. The last two steps really rely on you having an established company. Getting online, you might be putting a, an address on your website, for example. Well, you, you want to be established. You want people to find you. You want people to be able to say, well, this is my company registration number. I'm established. Look me up. So that's the very quick tour of business accounts. The high street banks are offering them. Halifax didn't for a reason. They might be now. Um, disruptors like Tide and Monzo are offering them. They're very, very quick to, to create. The apps are user-friendly. The card will arrive within 48 hours. But please do not neglect the likes of PayPal. Apple Pay and Amazon are getting into the game now, um, but people aren't using them as often to pay. PayPal do have that large market share. People like to pay with PayPal. So I definitely have this as an offering. And in addition to the likes of Apple Pay and PayPal, Klarna is a really interesting offer that you want to consider for your online business as well, where if you are providing a high value uh, solution or service, giving people the option to, to split the cost of their payment over time, you get the money immediately, but they have a little bit more flexibility in how they pay. Uh, so that's another thing. Think about how your customers might want to pay and whether you can actually set up um, re a repayment plan in order to ease the pain for customers in those instances. So now you're rolling. You have a bank account, money's coming in. You've got some sales, which is great, but you really want to start to maximize and scale your business. And this is an area where... I think it's very much overlooked about scaling your business because I, I, I think people see a romantic view of their business scaling that organically, month in, month out, they're just going to have more sales. Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. It's cold in these streets and there are a lot of competitors who are going to want to stand on your neck. So as a result, you are going to have to pull your resources in order to make sure that your company grows. And one effective way of doing that is by stakeholder mapping. So mapping all of your stakeholders and understanding how you can effectively take advantage of your ecosystem, your network to grow. So the first thing you need to do is identify who are all the parties involved in your products and services, in your product or service, and ask the question, how valuable is each one for you delivering your service so who would be included in that stakeholder group that's suppliers that's influencers 
that's potential investors, that's um, existing investors, that's mentors, people that you network with, third-party retailers, potential routes to market. So for instance, if you're selling a greetings card, you might want to think about independent bookshops, gyms, churches or coffee shops, mother's groups, uh, board of directors. These are all people who you should have in your stakeholder map. And then what you want to do is you want to give them a score out of five in two criteria. So score them out of five on the level of influence. So how powerful are they in an industry? If they were to give you support, how far would that go? How would that affect your sales? So give them a score out of five for influence and give them a score out of five for interest, which is how interested in your success are they? So one of the actual um, companies or sorry, groups that I left off that list is employees. Employees should definitely be on your stakeholder map. But I'd argue that in the long running uh, um, kind of growth of your business, they may get a five out of uh, five for interest, but maybe a lower score in their level of influence. So consider who is in that stakeholder environment and who are the high interest, high influence players, and then start to build a plan for how you're actually going to engage those people and what those people can do with you. So if you literally go on Google right now and type in interest influence matrix, you'll see that there is a clear set of guidelines for how you can take advantage of those people in your stakeholder group. But the other thing you want to do with your stakeholder group is understand how regular you need to engage with those people. So if it's a supplier, for instance, these are people that you want to potentially be engaging with once a fortnight, if not more, more often. If this is a investor, maybe you want to send them a weekly or monthly update of the performance of your store. If it is a potential uh, route to market, maybe you're actually engaging with them uh, a little uh, a, a little more frequently or a little less frequently, depending on, on what you think. Um, if they're an employee, that's an everyday type engagement that you want to be offering uh, an employee. So understand who they are, what impact they have on your business and how often you need to engage with them. But also don't be afraid to make your asks clear. So when it comes to your stakeholder, uh, stakeholder map, you may notice that some of your stakeholders have got a significant level of sway. Maybe they know people that you want to know. Maybe they've uh, got an, a level of influence, which means if they promote your product or service, that you'll get an increased push in sales. Make sure that you make the ask. Please, would it be possible for me to um, send you something to have a look at if you like it. Could you repost it? Could you share this pitch deck with some of your colleagues? Um, would you be interested in doing a one-on-one -on -one interview, which would help uh, uh, drive engagement to our website? All of the things that you think would help, make sure you create those asks to your, your stakeholders, but also think about what you can do for them. So the final point I want to make mention is any kind of stakeholder map requires you to think about a two-way relationship. What is the most I want from this person? But what is what is it that that person could benefit from that I could offer? So consider how you could provide added value to your stakeholder group, not just because you want something in return, but because these are people that you value, 
their insight, their expertise, their friendship, and you want to keep them in good relationship with you. So that's stakeholder mapping, and it's an absolutely key um, activity, which I recommend you spend whatever you're doing now in terms of stakeholder mapping, um, however much time you're spending stakeholder mapping, double it and watch the impacts it has on your business. Definitely. Crucial. Because there, there are many instances where we're, we're leaving money and influence on the table. There are relationships which we should be investing a great deal more time in, but we're not. Um, so just to reiterate what Abby said, stakeholder mapping is something which in the early days I neglected and ignored, um, mainly because I was almost functioning like a sole trader, even though I was a, a company, um, but it, it cannot be ignored. Now our final step, step 10, um, builds upon some of the previous, but focuses explicitly on marketing. Now marketing is broad, it's a beast in itself. Now previously we've spoken about understanding our customers, identifying potential customers. We focused on um, analyzing the market, analyzing competition. We've determined our market position and mix. We've touched on marketing budget and our execution of our plan. Now, here we want to really delve into executing that marketing plan. And we're going to focus on how we can ensure we are where our customers are. In other words, how can we ensure that where our customers' eyes view we are viewed. Now, if you're McDonald's, that is everywhere. McDonald's know from the moment in which an individual wakes up in their home, leaves their home to either go to their place of work, school, worship, etc., etc., and comes back, they are touching every point. They are touching um, the radio, they're touching the television, they're touching the radio in the car, they're touching um, billboards outside, they're touching advertising on transport, they're bus stop. Every single point in which the person can see Listen, if you are willing to offer your body, they will tattoo their logo on your body. Um, they just want <laughs> to ensure that people are seeing them everywhere. Now, you're a startup. How can you ensure that people are seeing you? You have a website, so you've got online. Fantastic. Um, are you ensuring that you are building a subscribers list? Even if you don't have a website yet, but you do have a personalized email address, do you have a centralized system where you are storing um, details of when you've last contacted people so that you can actually use this to ensure that there is a, a regular drumbeat of contact, of information going out to those customers? Um, interestingly enough, newsletters have a, a higher ROI than online adverts. Um, simply stated that those people have actually engaged with you prior to do not neglect this. If you have taken our advice and use Shopify, there are a plethora of apps which will enable you to generate newsletters. There are companies such as MailChimp who will help to automate newsletters. Just having that regular drumbeat, it will provide you with the statistics in terms of how many people are opening, how many people are actioning in it. But that is crucial. You want to ensure that the people who are seeing you regularly and have actioned, um, seeing you in terms of they've inquired, they've purchased their products or service, are once again being showcased what you are offering now and in the future. Um, will you use paid ads? Will you use functions such as Facebook, Instagram, Google ads, etc., etc.? Um, experiment with all of them, but prior to that, ensure that you have set a conservative budget for this. Know what you are willing to spend. Know what your um, average order value is, know what your 
clicks per conversion is, know what you are willing to actually spend for conversions. Now, if you've downloaded a good app, it will give you these analytics. It will teach you that, well, for every £10 that you spent, you acquired one customer. And then you can go back to your cost model and say, well, is that cost effective for me? Um, interrogate all of those options. So is there a different conversion rate on Facebook, on Instagram, on Google Ads? For some of you, this might encourage you to actually ensure that you have a presence there. Um, for others, you might start using retargeting ads. This is something that we've done um, to great success. We know that the world is being marketed to consistently, and most people don't like being marketed to, and thus really you want to personalize this more. So can we send our marketing material to those who've already come to us, those who've already shown an element of interest? So you are that heel provider on e-commerce, or you are that accountant who has a website where you've housed several different accountants who are offering online services. I've gone to your website, and I come off your website, your bounce rate is 98%. I spent two seconds on your website. Is there an opportunity for me to then see your offering again? Now, as you're hearing this, you know that you've seen this previously because you've gone onto Gumtree or a specific website, and then you've seen that website advertised somewhere else, reminding you of what you're looking for, because they know that most people don't purchase on their first visit. Usually it takes four plus visits to the website for them to actually convert, especially if you are a lower luxury to luxury brand. We are now experimenting not only with retargeting ads on a website, but also on mobile phones. So it, it came to me recently that actually, whilst newsletters are brilliant, whilst retargeting ads are brilliant, many people actually become blind to retargeting ads online because they, they know the strategy, and many people refuse to open their emails. But what we refuse not to open are messages on our phone. We cannot help it. Our phone is constantly attached to us. It's that additional limb. What if you could actually send text messages to people who have abandoned carts or have shown a tentative interest? Oh, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. You're, you're, you're giving away a little bit too much of the, <laughs> of the secret sauce right now, bro. This, this is expensive <laughs> lessons, and this is where we're going raw. I, I'm looking forward to redoing this episode again in a few years' time to see what we will change. But think about this in terms of marketing. Um, build your referral program, like I mentioned. Ensure that you're targeting existing customers and those who have abandoned carts, but have a presence on Facebook, Instagram, Google Ads, etc., etc., and test it. Now, you might not be online like that. You might be based in terms of pop-ups. Within your shortage community where there are pop-ups, have you marketed to the other pop-ups? Do they know what you are offering? Is that an environment where actually people have to be there physically to see it? And thus, do you have to have flyers? Do you have to have different iterations of flyers so that people do not become accustomed to seeing the same thing? Everyone knows the Coca-Cola logo. However, Coca-Cola will place their logo on different backgrounds, on different influences, so that it's new each time. Will you do the same thing in terms of physical spaces? You have three versions of your flyers. You're going to go to all of the people on your pop-up stores or the shops. You're going to create relationships, and then you're going to say, well, I would like to actually promote your service via your flyer. Can you promote mine also? And give them flyer version one. The next person, give them flyer version two. The next person, give them flyer version three. Because you know that you are all retailers selling clothes. You sell heels. 
your customers are also visiting them. Are there clear directions and clear redirections back to you? So that's a very short whistle-stop tour through marketing. Um, a whole episode could be based on this, but it must be done. And you're going to spend a lot of time focusing on this and interrogating the numbers. Ensure that you've got a budget and you stick to your budget monthly and you compare the conversion, the results of your budget from month to month, what is working, what isn't working, and go from there. Brother, amazing. Um, we did it. We managed to get 10 must-do actions for starting your business uh, in just over an hour. Uh, I, I can't wait to listen back to this episode. And I really do hope the people listening to this got some value out of it. My final suggestion during this process is to fill your mind and spirit with useful content. Yes. Make sure you're in the right state of mind when you're doing this. Read useful books. Make sure that you are um, intellectually and spiritually in the right place in order to affect the change that you want to see. Uh, and as is the way when it comes to this this podcast, got a couple of suggestions in terms of books. So very quickly, This is Marketing by Seth Golden, The Innovator's Dilemma by Clayton Christensen, and also Jab, 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 Right Hook by Gary Vaynerchuk. If you're not interested in reading, you're just somebody who just struggles to read, get Audible and listen to these on Audible. If I was going to pick one of the three, it's very difficult, actually. Um, it depends jab, on who jab, you are. Jab. jab, 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 I would say is a really accessible book. Get involved in that one. Um, if you are, if you like the science behind marketing and behind understanding customer choices, Seth Golden, um, this is marketing. And if you want to understand how you can sh shape a truly disruptive offering, then Clayton Christensen, The Innovator's Dilemma. But honestly, I think we've we've gone through a lot of very useful insights and uh, all of which are are open to challenge. So by all means, we, we want to really start the conversation here and have it continue in all platforms. So please get back to us with any key questions, any comments, any additional uh, points. What's number 11? Let us know. And yeah, I really, really hope you've enjoyed today. Definitely. And this is a continuation of what we've done previously. So this is harking back to do it now. This is harking back to execution. You have that idea. We have now given you 10 proven steps um, on how you can take that idea and make it real within the next 30 days. So will you execute? Will you do it now? I really hope they do. <laughs> so do I. Let us know. Um, give us your questions. Send us your updates. Tell us which steps you are on. Tell us which steps you're finding most challenging. Ask for us for a little bit more um, detailed information on each step. Each step could be a video in itself or an episode yeah. in itself. Um, but we are genuinely looking forward to hearing your success stories on how you are doing this. This is real, people. We have done it. Others have done it. Others are doing it right now. The question is, when will you? On that note, thanks again for another fantastic episode, brother. Really enjoyed this one. We're up Definitely. again next week with a guest. Um, and uh, 
yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Tune in next week, people. The episode next week. Well, we are called Expensive Lessons for a reason. I'll, I'll leave it as that. <laughs> All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed it. Have a great week. Love you lots. Take care. Take, take care, everyone. Thank you. Peace.